Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. In the little town of Norton, Kansas, there's an interesting little house. It's kind of a, a museum. Uh, and in that museum are pictures or portraits and biographies of some of the most important men that have ever been in the United States. Men such as John Breckenridge, Horatio Seymour, James Blaine. Anybody heard those names? How about these? Alton Parker, John Davis, Wendell Wilkie. These were important men in the history of the United States. You ever heard of any of those names? How about these? Hubert Humphrey, Michael Dukakis, Al Gore, John McCain. Anybody heard of those names? Yeah, we've heard of those. And what this little museum is, it's called, uh, it's a museum honoring uh, the people who lost the presidency of the United States. And the museum is called, They Also Ran Gallery. But who cares? You know, who really cares who came in second in the presidential uh, election? You know, it, it just doesn't really matter who came in second in the election. You know, the world in which we live honors winners. They honor people that come out on top. You know, and I think the same thing can be said of our own lives. You know, we, we want to come out on top. We, we want to be victorious. That's why we teach our children to go out there and be aggressive and do the best they can so they can win that trophy, so they can win that first place, so they can get that reward. That's what we want from them. We, don't t- we teach our children to be assertive. We teach our children to go out there and do it. Why do we do that? Part of that is because we want to live our lives vicariously through them. But ultimately it's because, you know, admiration rewards, financial comfort, and and being invited to the right social circles or into the right right, uh, group of people, that comes through hard work. That comes through determination. It's not going to be given to you. So so we, we teach our children to do that. And we believe that the Bible says, blessed are the aggressive, for they will inherit the earth. That's what we seem to think. And so that's the way we live our lives. So we become aggressive. We begin pushing in that way. You know, the world honors, honors aggressiveness. But on our way up the ladder of success, we may bump into Jesus on the way down because He operates from a different life. He operates from a different idea than we do. And as we bump into Jesus on the way up the ladder, it may startle us. It may confuse us. Matter of fact, what Jesus has to say might actually save our lives and what He has to say. Today we continue in our series through the Beatitudes under the heading, In Pursuit of the Elusive Butterfly. By now, you know we're talking about the butterfly of happiness. You, just when you think you found it, you haven't found it. It's fleeting. You just can't capture it. You just can't do it. Today we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And we look at these words this morning on the heading, Finding happiness in gentleness. This is what Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now if what Jesus has to say 
about meekness, if what Jesus has to say is true, then we better pay close attention. We better listen up what Jesus has, has to say. Because our aggressiveness has costly consequences to our life and to those people around us. Because as we push people to the bottom, how many people have we stepped over? How many people have we stepped on to get to the top? How many people have we treated badly in our rise to the top? You know, in this world, it's not really how you play the game. It's whether you win or not. And in this dog-eat world, you better be the big dog. You better come out and you better have the biggest bite and the biggest bark and the biggest growl or you will lose in this world in which we live. So in our struggle to get to the top, we may have mashed a lot of people down to the bottom. So I would think if there's another way to find happiness, other than this dog-eat-dog world, if there's another way to find happiness, maybe we ought to listen. Uh, maybe there, there's something we can glean from this, because Jesus says there is another way to find happiness. There is another way to find happiness. And let's be honest, we don't really like to be meek. We don't really love that. You know, football coaches don't go out there and tell the players, okay, I want you to go out there and be gentle today. No, he says, I want you to go out there and hit them, and I want you to hit them again, and I don't want you to hit them again. And business executives don't tell their salesmen to go out, I just want you to go out there and be, gent be meek today. He says, I want you to go out there and make the sale at whatever cost. Whatever it takes, you make that sale. And, and we see this over and over. Politicians never promise, I promise to govern by meekness. They say, no, I'm going to push my agenda. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my agenda through. Uh, that's the way they work in this world in which we live. Generals never tell their army and admirals never tell their sailors, just go out there and be meek today. They said, we want you to go out there and annihilate and destroy the enemy. Kill them before they kill you. That's the way it is. And just, I did a little Google search today. Uh, not this, today, but this week, about motivational seminars on meekness training. Uh, they're not out there, folks. <laughs> there are no motivational seminars that teach you how to be meek. They're not out there. As a matter of fact, can I, just, can I just be honest with you? Being meek is un-American. It's just un-American. You know why? We did not get to be the number one nation, the number one country in the world by being meek. It seems to be un-American. But then Jesus comes along and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So if Jesus says, it's not, this is not the way you're supposed to do it. Instead, you're supposed to do it this way. It looks like to me that maybe we need to listen to what he has to say. Now, this word meek is hard to translate. Uh, the best way to understand this Greek word is by understanding the word gentle. Meek means gentle. So Jesus is ultimately saying, blessed are gentle men and gentle women. Blessed are gentle men and gentle women women. And you see, being gentle, being meek has to do with relationships. It has to do, one, with how we relate to ourselves and then how we relate with others. Now, I know what you're asking. Pastor, how does being gentle have anything to do 
with ourselves. How does it relate to us? The fact of the matter is, in our self-centered aggressiveness, it, it comes from us not liking ourselves very much. So, so what we have to do, we have to build ourselves up to make ourselves look better in our own eyes. So we push people aside and push our agenda so that we can look better. We have to make ourselves look important. If we can get to the top, that's what matters because then people will notice us. And we don't really feel good about ourselves unless we're the center of attention, unless we're the one that everybody is talking about. So in this drive to be the best, we try to make ourselves look as good as we can. That's what we try to do. But you see, the gentle, and this is your first truth I want you to grasp, the gentle are not so hard on themselves. They don't beat themselves up if they're not the top dog, if they're not the cream of the crop, if they don't rise to the top. Why is that? Because their aspirations and their achievements are derived from a different source. We don't get our value from these things. We get our value from self elsewhere. So we accept who we are. We accept who we are as individuals. We do not have to prove ourselves to anyone. At the sake of being, uh, being politically correct, we have a positive self-image. We look at ourselves in a good light. So where do we get this? How do we get such a positive self-image? Where does it come from? The Bible says it comes from our relationship to Jesus Christ. It comes to our position of being called. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, these words, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. He said the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. As God's chosen people, holy and deeply loved, clothe yourselves with gentleness. So Paul connects the gentleness that we ought to have with the fact that we have been chosen by God. Because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because we've been chosen by God, we don't have to worry about others say about us. All we got to worry about is what Jesus thinks. So we have a positive self-image because we know that our worth is tied up in Jesus and not in trophies and, and awards and accolades that we can see because we know that we have been chosen by God. We have been called by His grace. So therefore, we don't beat ourselves up if we don't measure up to the standard that the world has created. We can be gentle with ourselves. We can be gentle because our... Our status is not based upon our accomplishments. It's not based upon our personal goodness. It's not based upon our financial portfolio. Jesus Christ has called us into relationship with Him. God has adopted us as children of the King. We are a part of the family of God. And so because of who we are in Jesus Christ, we have worth. We have value. And so we don't have to worry about the other things going on around us. Our worth is not based upon what the world thinks about us. Our worth is not based upon whether we're on the top of the mountain. It doesn't, it's not based on whether we win or lose. It's based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ in our relationship with God the Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. So, so we don't have to beat ourselves up because we know that our identity is secure. And the gentle realize this truth. They accept this in their own life. So we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. 
You don't have to prove yourself to other people. So you're, you're free from self-criticism. Uh, you don't have to beat yourself up all the time. Why? Because God alone will judge you. That's what it means. He's going to judge you, not others. So because you know that God doesn't judge you, you're open to other ideas. You're open to other suggestions because you're comfortable with who you are. So those who are gentle are not so hard on themselves. The second truth, the gentle have no need to control others. They don't have to control others. They don't need to make others look bad so that they can look good. I remember reading a story or hearing a story of a, a young preacher who took over, he preached his first sermon at his first church. And he got up, he was really nervous when, when, he, when he preached. Can you believe preachers get nervous doing this stuff? He was really nervous when he got up there. And so he, he misquoted the scripture and he said, he said, he fed five men with 5,000 loaves and two fish. And suddenly some old guy who he, he was known, he had one talent, his talent was that of criticism. Okay? And so he spoke up, he goes, that's not a miracle, I could do that. And so the, the preacher went home, you know, and so he went back, and the next Sunday he got up there and he, he preached a sermon, he announced his scripture, it's the exact same scripture, and this time he said, he said he fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish, and he waited. And then he called out the critic from the pulpit, he goes, Mr. Jones, is there any Joneses in here? <laughs> Mr. Jones, could you do that? Mr. Jones said, I sure could. And the pastor said, how are you going to do that? He goes, with what was left over from last Sunday. <laughs> now, now, you see what the point is? The point is that, that that's the way we are. We are so ready to pounce on somebody when they make a mistake. Well, we, we are so, look, I, I know people that will listen to a preacher and he'll preach the most magnificent sermon they've ever heard in their life, but he'll make one statement in the middle of, ah, yeah, 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 and then they pounce on him. We are like, oh, we're just ready to jump on anybody like a wolf. We're ready to do that. Why is that? Why do we do that? We do that so that we can look better, so we can look smarter, so that we can look more intelligent. So that we can have a higher value of ourselves. And we're critical of everything that others do. But Jesus said, but those who are gentle know that their worth comes from God. And so they don't have to criticize somebody else to make themselves look better. They don't have to be critical. Not only do they not have to be critical, they don't have to manipulate people. They don't have to manipulate people to get their way. They're confident enough to, in themselves that they can trust God to work things out in His time. God doesn't need their help. I remember when I was a young boy growing up, our church went through a terrible church split. Um, and about 50% of the church went this way, or 51% one way, and 49% went another way. And one church thrived, and it grew, and it became powerful, and it became uh you know, financially independent. It was really a growing church. The other church began to die on the vine. It was just dying. They were, uh, they were strapped and they couldn't do anything. So after about seven years, they decided they wanted to merge back together. Now, this is a Baptist church. I know this is unheard of, okay? They decided to merge back together. And so the stronger church took a vote to mer uh, to allow the other, the, the, uh, the, failing church to merge with them. And they needed 90% of the vote for it to happen. 
and they got like 86 or 87 percent, so it didn't pass. So the vote to, mer- to allow the, the weaker church to merge with them failed. But then the next Sunday, everybody from the weaker church came over and joined the other church. Guess what they brought with them when they came? All their property. They brought it with them. Now, I'm not saying whether this was right or wrong. That is not my position. But I'll never forget what somebody told, told, said to me after this, at, right before they left the church. She goes, I just feel like everything was manipulated behind the scenes. I just feel like everything was manipulated behind the scenes. But you see, when we're gentle, we don't have to manipulate to get our way. We don't have to do that. We're comfortable with who we are, and we do not have to have everything go our way. We're okay with that. This frees us up to work with people. It frees us up to to work with people instead of against people because we're comfortable with who we are. Now, that doesn't mean we're weak. That doesn't mean that gentle people are weak. It has nothing to do with weakness. It doesn't mean we allow people to walk all over us. I remember reading the story. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this story may, some of you may close your ears when you hear this, okay? You will not believe that I'm going to use a biblical word in a context that you might not like, okay? But I remember hearing this story of uh, these nuns that went to a baseball game. And the nuns went to the baseball game and sitting behind them was some two gentlemen who were anti-Catholic, okay? And so one of them said, why don't we move to Texas? I hear there's not very many Catholics in Texas. And his little buddy said, why don't we move to Oklahoma? I hear there's even less Catholics in Oklahoma. And then finally his buddy said, why don't we move to Alaska? There aren't any, there's hardly even less Catholics in Alaska. And one of the nuns turned around and said, why don't you go to hell? There aren't any Catholics in hell. Now here's the point. Here's the point. You see, when you're gentle, when you're gentle, you don't have to get back at somebody. You don't have to do that. I don't think that's quite what Jesus had in mind by these words. But it doesn't mean we allow people to walk all over us. By the way, that is a biblical word in case you're interested, okay? So I'm not telling you to go out and say that, but you get the point. Sometimes you, you exaggerate to make a point. You see, it doesn't mean we're weak. But it also doesn't mean we have to fight everything that comes out there. It takes a great deal of strength. It takes a great deal of courage to let it go. To let it go. So we see that we have the strength to accept ourselves. Second, we can resist the temptation to control others. And the third truth I want you to get is this. Because we're gentle, we have the strength to trust God. We have the strength to trust God. Let me give you a biblical example. The Bible says this about Moses. Moses was, the, was a very gentle man, more gentle than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, when that verse was, when that was said about Moses, Moses was right in the middle of a struggle. As a matter of fact, he was being accused of being arrogant. Not only by the people, but by his own family. They said, well, you're thinking that God only speaks to you. And so he was accused of being arrogant, and the people were rebelling against him. Now, it wasn't true. Moses wasn't arrogant. But that's what the people were saying about him. So he was accused of 
arrogance. But here's the thing. Moses knew that he was called by God. He knew that he was called by God. And it was interesting he was called by God because normally you wouldn't call somebody like Moses. Moses was at the bottom of the ladder when God called him. I mean, he was not the pick of the litter. Let's just be honest. He was a murderer. He fled to, 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 the, to the wilderness. And for 40 years, the only, only people he spoke to was his wife and his father-in-law and whatever relatives were. And he tended sheep for 40 years. He would not be high on the list for God to call him to be a leader of the people. You would not do that. But see, God saw something different in Moses, so God called Moses. And this is the point you need. Moses knew he was called. He knew he was called by God, so therefore he could afford to be gentle with himself, and he could afford to be gentle with the other people. He could do that. It does not mean that Moses was weak. As a matter of fact, gentle Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go that they may serve me. Gentle Moses took a group of rebellious people, led them through the Red Sea, and led them into the wilderness for 40 years. When they grumbled, he led them. When they cried out, we don't have any water, he led them. When they cried out, we don't like the food, he led them. When they began to attack him, he led them. Gentle Moses led the people. But he was strong in the midst of his leadership. Let me give you another example. Does the name Jesus ring a bell to anybody? Y'all know that name? Yeah, kind of a popular guy in the New Testament. Kind of an important character, I think. Uh, Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, I'm gentle, and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest in your soul. Jesus said, I'm a gentle Savior. I'm a meek Savior. And so because Jesus was gentle, He could ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He didn't have to come in on a stallion. He didn't have to come in with a with chariot blazing. He could ride in on a simple donkey. He could do that. He didn't have to worry about what others... He had no reason to impress anybody. He didn't have to draw attention to himself. He didn't have to force his ideas on anyone. He knew who he was. So he passed through the gates of Jerusalem in a spirit of gentleness. But I don't think anybody would accuse Jesus of being weak. I don't think anybody accused Jesus of being a pushover. Because the very next day, after Jesus went through Jerusalem, the very next day, He went into the temple, the church of the time, and He saw people abusing the church. He saw people selling money and taking advantage of people. And the Bible says that He tore up the tables and He drove the money changers out of the temple. That doesn't sound like somebody that's weak. And when Jesus stood before Pilate, and Pilate began to accuse him of the accusations, the accusations, he was accused of blasphemy and of leading a rebellion. Jesus didn't defend himself. 
Matter of fact, he didn't say a word. He didn't say anything. He didn't try to worm his way out of, of the accusations. He didn't try to defend his, his cause to the people. He, he knew they wanted him dead. And he knew at that moment that the weight of the entire Roman Empire was coming down upon him. He knew it. He knew what was a lot ahead for him. He didn't offer any excuses. He didn't try to explain it away. He didn't try to defend his honor. He didn't do anything to try to save his life. What did he do? He left his defense to God. He said, God will be my defender. And he left his defense to God. And then Jesus utters these words to us today. He said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the gentle. And I think I can understand why this beatitude should provide happiness in our life. It's how we can find peace with ourselves. It's how we can find peace with others. And Jesus said, when you discover that, you are to be congratulated. You are to be happy because you've discovered what it's really all about. And He says, you're to be happy when you're gentle. Why? He says, because you will inherit the earth. It's that last phrase that catches us by surprise. Because we think it would be you would inherit the kingdom of God. That's what we would think. But He's already talked about that in verse 1. Or in verse 3, when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So this last part surprises us. We're not quite sure what Jesus means by this. But I think this phrase reveals two important truths that we need to understand. First, God is not finished with this earth yet. You need to understand that. God is not finished with the earth. He sent Jesus to the earth, to redeem it. He created it. Jesus came to the earth to restore it, to redeem it. And we like to think that, with that, that when we leave this life, when we leave this place, that we're going we're to escape into heaven. But that's not what this verse says. This verse looks forward to a transformation of the earth. It looks that the earth will be transformed. It will be changed in a way that we can't fathom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He said, When the kingdom of heaven descends, the face of the earth will be renewed. God does not forsake the earth. He made it. He sent His Son to it. And on it, He built His church. Thus, the beginning has already been made in this present age. The renewal of the earth begins at Golgotha, where the meek one died. And from there, it will spread. When the kingdom finally comes, the meek shall possess the earth. That's why Paul writes in Romans that all of earth is groaning in anticipation for the day that it will be restored. Why is the world, or the world fractured? Because of sin. Sin disrupted the creation that God said was good. If it was good before sin, guess what? When sin is removed, it will be good again. So he says, you will inherit the earth. So, so there's this idea that God's not finished with the earth. The second one that we get from this is that there's a great change coming. There's a great transformation that's going to take place and it's going to exceed everything we have ever experienced. That there will be a complete change of worldly values. 
those are the, who have elbowed and, and kicked their way up to the top to get where they want to be will suddenly be on the bottom of the ladder and those who have been served in gentleness, those who are found at the bottom of the ladder will suddenly be in a position at the top. And they will ascend the thrones and they will reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever. We can't fully grasp it. But that's why Jesus said, Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. You don't believe me? Genesis 1 and 2 open with a garden. Revelation 21 and 22 closes with a garden. It closes with a garden. And it says, in that garden, we will be able to eat of every tree in the garden including the tree of life. Everything. A complete change of everything that we can imagine. This is what he says when he says this passage. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's difficult for us to grasp. It's hard for us to believe. We believe that the assertive are the ones who are at the top of the mountain. But yet Jesus made this promise. Now we can either believe Him or we can choose not to believe Him. But here's the thing, Jesus believed it. Jesus believed these words were true. He lived His life in gentleness. He died in gentleness. And He left the ultimate victory to the God who called Him. To the God He called Him. Listen to the way the Bible tells us this happened. Talking about Jesus, it said He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled Himself even the death. He was gentle, but God raised Him up and exalted Him to the highest place. Blessed Blessed, oh, how happy are the gentle, for theirs is the earth. For they will inherit the earth. This beatitude defies what the world says. It doesn't coexist with the world. But then again, we don't really live by the world's values, do we? We don't really live by the world's standards. We live differently. Matter of fact, as we will see several months from now, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. God left us here to make a difference. God left us here to show people how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to act. Why? So that God receives the glory. He says, so therefore... Because you're the light of the world, because you're the salt of the earth, he goes, therefore, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, it's not about us, my dear friends. 
It's not about us being on top. It's not about us getting our way or somebody else getting their way. It's about Jesus getting His way. That's what it's all about. So the gentle. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. In a moment, we'll give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. Give you an opportunity. Maybe God is speaking to your heart. Maybe you're one of those people that all you do is push people to the bottom so that you can get up to the top. God's word to you is stop it. Don't you like it? It's so clear. Stop it. Stop it. That's not the way to find happiness. Be gentle. Be humble. Perhaps you say you can't do that because you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to help you do that. And for you, God's call upon your life is you need a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. You need to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. And you've got to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the minute that you commit your life to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit will come into you and bam! He will empower you with the ability to live counter-cultural. He will give you the ability to live counter to what the culture says is important. And suddenly you say, no, this is what I say is important. And He will transform your life. Jesus said, I came to give life to the fullest. To the fullest. And the only way you're going to experience the fullness that Christ has for you is when you surrender your life to Him and say, Jesus, today I live for you. I live for you. Some of you might need to do that this morning.